Welcome to episode 546 of the Entertainment 2.0 podcast brought to you by the digitalmediazone.com. I'm Josh Pollard. And I'm Richard Gunther. And this is the show that puts you in control of your favorite movies, music, shows, and games. And this is our annual CES coverage live from Las Vegas. No, no, no. That's what we would normally say. (laughs) (laughs) Not this year. Live from our, well, I'm in my home. You're at your temporary home. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a weird CES. It has. It's contributing to a weird January. So yeah, we have lots to cover. I unfortunately have not been as readily available to CES stuff as I would like to be, but you, my friend, have been on it. I don't feel like I've been on it, but there is a fair amount of stuff here in the notes for us to talk about. So so we can do that. So why don't we just jump right in? We don't have feedback this week, even if, and I'm not going to even guilt you all for it this time around because CES week, we probably wouldn't have read it anyway. All of you are such great long-term listeners, you probably knew that. And we're like, they don't read feedback on the CES episode. So why would I send it in? So send it for next week. We'll definitely want to hear your thoughts about all of the CES news and announcements and products and vaporware and all of that stuff uh, for, for next week's episode. So I'm also, so we're recording this on Tuesday, the 12th. I'm going to try and get this out tonight. You'll have it Wednesday morning, but CES is huge. There's already a bunch of stuff that I know about that we just don't have time to cover all of it. So like there's a bunch of gaming monitors and and a fair amount of gaming stuff that is not in this episode. Some of the stuff we might cover next week. There's just too much stuff to cover all in one episode. So we're going to focus on the big things this week, like TVs and things like that. And there's probably going to be some spillover extra CES content either next week or who knows, maybe we'll do another episode later in the week. Surprise, Richard. Uh, probably not. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So that's cute. You think I have time for that? (laughs) So let's jump in to what's always the biggest thing to talk about with, with CES and that is TVs. Now covering TVs is weird this year because we can't actually go and look at them. Right but we can talk about what the announcements are. So <laughs> I, I, I feel like we should get a couple of phrases cleared up right now to make things a little, a little bit more understandable. And I'll remind you all throughout because I feel like we're in a moment right now where TV technology is getting confusing again. Mm-hmm. So uh, from the start, the two the two confusing things here, like we're really talking about a, a few different types of TVs. There's OLED. I think we all know OLED. Um, that's that's the king. Those are the best looking TVs out there. Um, but there's multiple types of LCD TVs now. There's basically regular LCDs. There's mini LED TVs, which are, as it sounds like, very very small uh, LCD. Dots, di- diodes, I guess is what the D stands for, um, which uh, is is a newer technology. And then there's micro LED, which is something a little bit different. And that's that's typically used for like really, really, really big displays. So if you all remember from a couple of CESs ago, 
we talked about, I think it was Samsung that had the wall where right. they, they first demonstrated their micro LED. Uh, and the main thing with micro LED is they typically come in panels that you can like connect them together without extra wires so that you can make enormous screens. So we're going to talk about both of those, but primarily mini. That's the one that we're seeing on a lot more TVs this year. So mini LED and OLED primary focuses here, a little bit of stuff on micro LED. All right, let's start with LG. Uh, no particular reason why, but we're just going to start with LG. So I, I kind of feel like the the announcements from LG this year, Richard, were really just a yeah, our TVs are better than they were last year. I, I don't <laughs> I don't feel like there's a ton of really big news. Um, they here's some gaming news for those of you who want it. All of their OLEDs are getting. even better gaming features than they've had previously. I mean, basically right now, if you were looking to buy a a high-end TV for video games, we would tell you to buy an LG OLED. And that could continue to be the case here because they're continuing to make fantastic looking OLED displays. Uh, But now they've got a new feature in here called Game Optimizer. They're saying one millisecond response time on these things. All of the HDMI ports are HDMI 2.1 which is super critical for things like variable refresh rate technologies. Speaking of which, all of these LG OLEDs support NVIDIA G-Sync and AMD's FreeSync. So uh, if you're hooking this up to your computer or you're hooking it up to an Xbox Series X, uh, you get the variable refresh rate goodness. Uh, And I think all of the OLEDs, except for the smallest one, um, are... 120 hertz. So some really, really great stuff there for gaming. Uh, Also, all of the models uh, kind of built in with this game optimizer technology are going to have a a low, low latency mode. In fact, auto low latency mode. And maybe this isn't, of course, but they're going to have EARC, the latest version of audio return channel. That's the OLEDs. Am I missing anything on, on the OLEDs? Anything that really caught your eye in their announcements, Richard? No, not necessarily. I mean, I think you're right that this wasn't terribly exciting. Although, you know, what they were promoting was their mini LED stuff. They were spending some time talking about that. And of course, because this is what LG and so many brands do, they had to come up with their own new initialism for it. It's QNED. I don't even know what that stands for, do you? <laughs> no. No, I mean, the Q is qu- probably for quantum dot, but I don't know what the N is supposed to be. To tell oh, you the nano. Truth. It was quantum N nano. Oh my gosh. Yeah, right. Forgot about that. Okay, yep. Okay. So there are many LED TVs look really interesting. Some of them do offer 120 hertz refresh rates. So the the thing about mini LED because they can make these LEDs so much smaller. Like, I don't know if this is true for all of them, but in in one of the articles that I was reading about these multiple manufacturers, they were saying that their mini LEDs are 1 40th the size of the traditional LEDs that they used to use. That's ridiculous. Super tiny. So because they're so much smaller, they can have way more of them. And the, the benefit there is 
If you can also do a lot more local dimming zones because you have so many more lights to turn on and off, then you can have much better contrast between when things are moving, like bright things moving in dark scenes without getting a massive light halo around those objects. So when we talk about black levels, when we talk about HDR, those are the types of things that we're talking about. And mini LED, because it's so many more lights and because they can offer a lot more dimming zones around those lights, gives you a much better experience for those types of things, which is really just trying to emulate what OLED is doing. The the thing that makes OLED so good for contrast and black levels and things like that is every single OLED thing is self-lit. Right. Every single pixel is its own light source. Right. And that's the thing that I think is confusing about LED TVs. People forget that when we talk about LED TVs, what we're really talking about is an LCD screen that has a lighting matrix behind it that's made of LEDs as opposed to the old world edge lit model of providing a lighting panel for and a lighting source for the LED substrate. So sorry, the LCD substrate. Right. Right. So th- th- with, with these ones and these numbers that I'm about to say, cause they were not super specific are probably on their biggest models, but they were talking about up to 30,000 LEDs in one, in one panel and up to 2,500 dimming zones. Now, to put that in perspective, 30,000 sounds crazy, and it is super high, but it's still nothing compared to a 4K OLED, right? I mean, how many pixels are on a 4K screen? Millions. It's in the millions, right? Right. So it's still not anywhere close to that, but at some point, you hit the, the law of diminishing returns, right? So and I still also remember when we would go to CES and we would see the reveal of the LED matrix underneath the screen. And there was a time when they were sub 1000 and that was amazing. <laughs> right, right. Well, and similar to these local dimming zones, like 2,500 local dimming zones, just in the last year, we've been like, yeah, this TV has like 128 local dimming zones. That's awesome. Well, right. <laughs> it's nothing compared to 2,500 local dimming zones. That's so that's, that's really good. And, and what, I mean, what we're basically seeing here is these manufacturers are using mini LED as a way to try to approach the quality that you can get from OLED without the cost. I mean, they're still more expensive than than their lowest end TVs, of course, but they're not anywhere near as expensive as as OLED. All right, so the last thing from LG, and this one had me very nervous when they announced <laughs> it, was they completely overhauled WebOS running on the LG TVs. You and I, Richard, have always been huge fans of the WebOS interface on the LG yep. TVs. It's they're pretty much the only TVs where we're like, yeah, that one's actually got a UI that I want to use. Right. Right. And I have WebOS on my TV and I, I like it. It's not my primary interface, but if I were dependent upon an interface, I would be 
like happy to use that one as my primary. I am not excited about this. You know, I, there are a bunch of different reviews about this. I've done a good amount of research on what they're offering and seen some of the quick demos. So let's talk about the good stuff first. There's a new remote, and that's a part of the WebO, WebOS experience because it integrates with the pointer as it always has. I've never really liked the pointer. You still can't turn that off from what I understand, meaning that as you move your remote in space, the pointer also moves along with it instead of just maybe relying on traditional scrolling and D-pad and stuff like that. You can use a D-pad and their D-pad looks a little bit more traditional. The remote looks a little more traditional now. It also includes shortcut buttons to some of the major new or to some of the major services, including, and a new one there is Disney Plus. It was kind of interesting to see that. And direct buttons for both your Amazon Assistant and your Alexa. Oh, I just blew that, right? And your Google Assistant. So if you're using one or the other, you can just press the button for your Assistant and trigger it to give commands to the TV to play something or call something up or show a menu or whatever. The screen itself, this the on-screen experience though for WebOS 6 just looks like everybody else's now. It's a full screen list of tiles featuring stuff recommended for you, hero images of stuff they're promoting, ads, unfortunately, Ooh. tiles for the most recent or your preferred apps that you have available and the list goes on. The list is not customizable. You can't really tweak it and it takes up the whole page. So unlike old WebOS, which stayed out of your way and gave you this kind of strip where you had different configurable buttons and you had largely full control over what showed up there and then it would just slide away. This completely interrupts your experience and doesn't in any way seem special or different from what any other manufacturer is doing. So I'm frankly very disappointed with it. The reviews are mixed. The Verge hates it. The Ambient loves it. Uh, and Gadget seems indifferent. I, for the first time maybe ever, am siding with The Verge on this one. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it it looks like Google TV. I it think it looks like Samsung TV. It looks like Panasonic TV. It looks like what everybody else is doing. Right. It looks like Apple TV. It's just I yeah. And they're offering recommendations based on what you've watched and they'll give you the next episode of what you, I don't want my TV doing that because I don't trust that these companies are going to get enough return on that to continue offering those services. Right. Like you, you like Google doing it because they're good at it and they, and and they have the data to do it. their search model right. where they're making revenue off of offering you stuff. Right. Right. Well, and so would it be fair to say that the previous versions of WebOS, it was basically just an app launcher at the bottom of the screen, right? And now they're adding a whole lot of like deep linking into actual specific content. Uh, yeah. I mean, 
you could very quickly get into full screen experiences in WebOS by pulling up the store or um, the the content area or something like that or the grid, but your default experience wasn't full screen. It you're right in that a description of that as a launcher is probably the most accurate way of looking at it. Well, and and if that's if that's primarily what it was, then I have to imagine that it was starting to get kind of cluttered or or maybe a little bit more difficult to use because as we just see new service after new service being announced, you end up with a lot of apps. And when all you're doing is scrolling horizontally, that, that could be a lot of scrolling to find the app that you want to launch. Possibly, but I'd rather, I don't know, see a button to differentiate between calling up services versus calling up, um, you know, menu items or something like that on the remote as opposed to uh, a button for yet another paid service on the remote. Yeah. That's putting cash in LG's pockets right. for that button. Right. So the good news is that LG has a very poor history of updating older models with <laughs> newer versions of the OS. It's Just, not common that, that that sentence is listed as good news. <laughs> So if you like the OS that you have, you're probably not going to lose it. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, why don't we move on to TCL? Uh, TCL, one of their bigger announcements, I think, in terms of software, at least, is, you know, last year we saw them. Well, let me actually take a step even further back in history. For a few years, they've been producing Roku TVs. So in, instead of using WebOS, they had Roku built right in. and. People know Roku, people, you know, I almost said people love Roku. I don't know that anybody loves Roku, but people like <laughs> Roku, right? People like Roku. Right? People, people tolerate Roku. So, uh, so that, that was a good experience. Like people know how to use it. It's got just about everything. It makes sense. But last year they started putting out a few TVs that had Android TV built in instead of, instead of Roku. You couldn't like buy one TV and choose the experience. It was you're either buying the Roku model or you're buying the Android TV model. Yeah, I think when we talked about this, I called at the time that this was probably a bad idea because I didn't really think that Android TV on a device was all that good. But there's good news. There is good news because now it's not Android TV that they're putting on these things. It is Google TV. And that's when everybody goes, wait, what? That they're the same thing. No, they're not exactly the same thing. This is the same experience that you're getting on that new Chromecast device, which Richard has been loving. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I'm using that as my primary television experience while we're away and um, have had no problems whatsoever. I'm very happy with it. Nice. Can't airplay to it, but, you know, we make concessions. <laughs> well, and... I'm I'm thinking that the, that the TCL TVs support AirPlay regardless. Yeah. 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 So you get the best of both worlds. And, yep. and the other thing that I like to remind people, because people in this space can can definitely get a little bit hung up on like, well, I don't I don't want that. I don't want Google TV on my TV. I I'm an Apple guy. Fine. Then buy an Apple TV and plug it into an HDMI port. Like if you hate the software, whether it's good or bad or whatever, it doesn't matter. Plug in the 
fifty to two hundred dollar device of your choosing and be happy. So that's it on the software side. Now for their TV updates, so TCL was perhaps the first, if not the first, one of the first to actually sell mini LED TVs. Last year, they offered mini LED TVs. It was their second generation of of mini LED. It was only available in their eight series TVs, which I think is their highest series. I think it's the highest end offering that they have. And we're frequently talking about their six series TVs because the six series ends up being that, that sort of Goldilocks place where it's got a lot of great features, but it's not quite as expensive as the top end stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, this year, they're bringing that mini LED technology down into the six series lineup. Now, we, we don't know prices. They're, they're not announcing prices either, but I, I can't imagine the six series cost is going to dramatically increase. That wouldn't really fit with the way they've been doing things for the last few years. So mini LED technology at pretty affordable prices. I mean, we typically see six series TVs in the six, seven, eight hundred dollar range, depending on size. So that's going to be great. They've because it's their third generation of mini mini. I almost said mini OLED. Uh, mini LED. They've they've made even more advancements. They're calling this one. OD0, because they just have to come up with stupid names for everything. And the zero there is referring to the the distance in millimeters between the, I believe it's between like the LED and the light source, or the LED and the LCD screen, you know, what, whatever it is. Now it's, I've been looking at too many things all day for the last two days. Um, and zero means they're right next to each other. And that's that allows them to cram even more of these things in and to make thinner TVs. I don't know that we really need thinner TVs at this point. It's not something that I see people complaining about all that much anymore. <laughs> right. But I, I mean, I feel There's the same no way about phones for the controls anymore. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I mean, I feel the exact same way about phones, like make it a yeah. little bit thicker and give me a bigger battery, please. Right. Please. Yeah, no, exactly. What does the OD stand for? Do we know? Um, I don't remember. Yeah. Okay. I knew Here yesterday. Again. <laughs> right. No, it doesn't just, matter. You're probably yeah. not going to see the OD zero language on anything. You're really, you're just looking for the six series TVs. Mm-hmm. So they're, they also introduced some new XL models. All of their XL models are 85 inch TVs. Uh, the and these range between 4K and 8K. I guess we didn't really mention this. They've all got 8K TVs this year. That's not new though. Uh, all of these manufacturers had 8K TVs last year. Yep. Still um, don't buy one. Yeah, I, st- I still wouldn't buy one either. Um, in in these a- 85 inch models, which that's when it starts to make a little bit more sense, maybe to go to 8K. Um, well, if you buy the low end model, you're not getting that. But they are offering a a four series XL 85 inch screen that's 4K for sixteen hundred bucks. And sixteen hundred bucks for an 85 inch TV, probably a pretty good price. Yeah, I can't even tell you how tempting that is. I just don't have a wall for it. <laughs> right, <laughs> that's a pretty enormous TV. I mean, that yeah, that would be so freaking cool. I don't know where i'd put it yeah and 
if if you're not one who would be looking for a a four series level of TV, well, they are going to have a 120 hertz QLED um, version later and a mini LED version later in the year also. But again, no prices or dates on any of those things. So off to Samsung. It's the last TV manufacturer we're going to talk about. Their mini LED technology is called Neo QLED. Of course it is. Again, it's craziness. Three different names for the exact same thing because they have to differentiate. Well, and they do. Like It makes sense to to give different things a name so that it is a little bit easier for customers to know what they want. But when all of them are so similar, that doesn't really help matters much. Right, right. So they've got 8K and 4K Neo Q LED sets. Um, they're probably going to look great. They, like the other guys, are doing a lot of AI upscaling, especially on the 8K sets, uh, things like that that you would expect to see. Um, they're higher-end models. They're also uh, doing some interesting new features. So they're going to allow you to uh, do what everybody wants to do, I think, and that's plug a camera into their TV so that you know you can always have a camera pointing at you. And um, while maybe you're thinking that's a terrible idea, there are some actual good use cases. W- one of them is they're going to enable Google Duo calling, which, hey, during the time of COVID, you know, when we're all stuck at home and we're all Zooming and maybe you're using Google Duo to to talk to your family and friends, uh, to be able to do that on your TV, that's a pretty cool experience. They're yeah. also doing uh, this integration with a, a fitness app where, you know, normally you would just watch a, an exercise routine video in there showing you how to do the moves and you do it at home uh, try, trying to mimic what they're doing. But you don't really know if you're doing it right. Well, this this new service, uh, you see the trainer on one half of the screen. And if you've got your camera plugged in, you see yourself on the other half of the screen. And then it makes it a whole lot easier to know, oh yeah, I'm not doing that right at all because you can see yourself right next to the to the actual trainer. So I think that's a cool feature. That's a very cool feature. And I, as you're talking about that, I'm wondering how far are we from the point where Connect is essentially a webcam, any webcam, doesn't matter what webcam, just a camera input to your device, be it a, an Apple TV with fitness plus or a TV that has some sort of fitness program or, or service can do all of the motion detection and everything else. And all it really needed was a camera. I don't think we're that far from that. No, no, I I don't think we are. And and when you consider some of the advanced camera technologies that things like the the high-end iPhones have with LiDAR and stuff like that, it's got to be right around the corner. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's pretty cool stuff. So they were talking about a micro LED TV that you can buy. And remember, micro LED is the technology that enables you to build really big ones. Now, Richard, you and I both said, we don't have room in our houses for an 85-inch TV from from TCL. So I guess there's no hope of us putting a 110-inch micro-LED from Samsung in your house. 
Well, there are a couple reasons why there's no hope. One might be the size. The other is that we have no idea what this is going to cost. <laughs> Do you want to take a guess? I am going to guess that it's going to, and this is a huge swath, but I'm going to guess that it's somewhere between twelve and twenty thousand dollars. Oh, I was going to say like thirty or forty thousand dollars. If it were Sony, I would have said that, but (laughs) I I think with Samsung and the technology that they've been working on over the years, I I think this will be cheaper than that. That would be cool. Still completely out of range. Well, we won't have to wait long to find out because they are saying that this will be available in March. So that's really soon. Yeah. So that means sometime this year. Well, but from Samsung, it's not quite so bad, right? That's a good point. That's a very good point. Yep. This isn't just some random vendor in South Hall. This is Samsung. Right. And and where are they based? South Korea. Right. So they're not facing any sort of COVID disruption. Yeah, they they figured this whole thing out a while ago. (laughs) It's business as usual for them. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Because COVID is definitely slowing down things across most of the world. Right. All right. So that's it for TVs. The only other video story that I wanted to talk about, and we're not going to do the full topic justice, but ATSC 3.0, that is the the latest standard uh, of the over the air signal that you're getting from from television antennas it's starting to roll out uh, across the country it's now if i lived 30 miles north of where i am now i could get atsc3 so there's lots of markets that are bringing this online and what atsc3 does before we go any further can i ask you do you care maybe you can't get it uh do i care right now that i can't get it no because okay um, because I don't have an ATSC three tuner. Sure. Okay. So but, I mean, it wouldn't help. does it matter to you? Like, let's just put that in perspective. Okay. Now let's talk about this. Well, but but the features, like, I mean, you're asking if I care if I can't get it right now. I, I want it at some point, but I don't have a tuner for it yet. So it, mm-hmm. it's fine that it's not available in my local market yet because I don't have a tuner. But, okay. But the there's really a couple of things that it's going to provide. One higher definition over the air streams 4k over the air like a lot of but a lot of places aren't even doing 1080p yet over the air we're getting 1080i 720p from uh, a lot of of the current providers but right it's doable uh over atsc 3.0 also there's 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 more uh more technology in there for sending other types of 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 things through those channels it's not just let's blast some video at you it can be a lot of other types of content a lot you know more things like um more of the the things that we see from apps and stuff and and yes that can include like ads and stuff like that but um it, it can be more advanced um like weather alerting services and emergency broadcast stuff. And, you know, there, there are going to be some cool use cases for this, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. And, and while we, we joke that most of the local providers for people aren't doing anything better than, than 1080i, like there are a few channels out there that are using ATSC3 to broadcast 4K feeds right now. 
it, it's it's kind of like the early days of HD though, where it's like it's a twenty four hour stream of the same nature content in yep. in HD over and over again. <laughs> right. So sunsets on the Sahara. <laughs> right. But uh, we we met with uh, one company called. Oh, now I can't remember if they pronounced it Evoca or Evoca. Let's go with Evoca because it's E-V-O-C-A. And they're working on an ATSC 3.0 set-top box that also includes some over-the-top content. When we say over-the-top, we mean your traditional internet, you know, video-on-demand type services. Things like Hulu and, and Netflix and Disney+. Plus, All of those types of services. Except. Except. None of those ones. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> it's still early days for this company, uh, and and they're really small. So they've got a, a dozen, couple dozen apps that they've got built into their box, but it's a lot of smaller players. But they do have some knowns. They have Curiosity Stream. They have Hallmark Channel. They have you know a, a couple of the known services. But they also have a lot of things that you may not have ever heard about before. For example, I didn't know that there was a cowboy channel. <laughs> right. I mean, going to rush out to, to look for a cowboy channel in my lineup. <laughs> not at all. I mean, well, I mean, there may be people that are interested in that. Oh, it's for just sure. not something that even occurred to me. So I, I think what, what that points to is that they have a lot of long tail content and the big players just aren't on board yet. Right. Right. And so this is, this is coming soon that they've, they've actually already started selling this in, in areas They're they're kind of doing it in test markets. So they're starting in Boise. Boise's already rolled out ATSC three, but it'll work anywhere that there's ATSC 3.0 already rolled out and they've got a grid guide. It's blue, so it makes me think of Windows Media Center. Um, My bet is that that guide isn't necessarily ready for other areas outside of Boise. That could be one of the one of the things that they're kind of managing in terms of the scope is providing content metadata for specific areas. Yeah, that could be. That could be. And and in some cases, some of that over the top content they've just got put right into the guide like they mentioned to me uh, when we were talking that newsy it's it's an over-the-top service but it's just in the guide i don't know anything about newsy which you can do if your service is linear like newsy not all of these services are linear right like netflix wouldn't make any sense in a channel guide right yeah so it, it's definitely something we'll be keeping an eye on it does have storage built in they don't have a dvr yet they're planning to add dvr functionality uh, I did ask them, okay, so you're combining over the air and over the top. You're going to have some restrictions on <laughs> that, that DVR functionality? Yes, there will be restrictions. Like uh, when it comes to especially recording the over the top stuff, don't get your hopes up there, folks. <laughs> They're not going to let you record Netflix on this DVR. <laughs> okay. Nope. That's what play on's for. Exactly. <laughs> so. That's Avoca, and that is all of our video news for this week. So let's move on to audio. And I, I've been really, I've been a pretty big fan of Wisa for the last few years. Wisa is a technology that does wireless audio streaming. A few years back, 
Um, we reviewed a product from Axum. It was a wireless 5.1 setup. And, and when we say wireless, we mean uh, in that case, you, you had an AVR that had five or six HDMI inputs or whatever. Um, but then the speakers didn't connect to it at all. The speakers all have their own little amps inside of them and just a power plug, no speaker wires, just a power plug. You move them wherever you want them, plug them into the wall, and then the audio signal is sent wirelessly to the speakers with, in theory, like no noticeable delay. Right. Perfect sync is exactly. So WISA is absolutely an industry standard. There's lots of companies that have WISA speakers. You can mix and match. You know, Clips makes Klipsch makes some. You know, maybe you really like their speakers, but you like uh, a WISA subwoofer from another company. You can totally do that. Totally works. But uh, one thing that a lot of the the speaker companies that are making them ha- have told the WISA Association is we make speakers. We don't want to make these transmitter things, and we don't. We also don't really love. Um, telling our customers to go buy a transmitter from one of our speaker competitors. Like, that's weird. Solve this problem for us. And so Weissa did, and they made their own wireless transmitter, basically. And it's a pretty cool solution. So it's kind of like a, a large hockey puck, circle black disc thing that you plug into your HDMI port that has... Uh, ARC or EARC, the the audio return channel input in your in your TV. Plug all of your speakers into power. Turn it all on. Open up the the WISA app on your phone and say, "Yep, that that speaker's there. That speaker, you know, this speaker over here is the the left front. This one's the right front. This is the center. There's my sub, and then you're good to go. And it's all just wireless, and it's mix and match. And in theory, it works great." Um, the phone app allows you to do lots of other customizations. You can say, no, I I really want the center channel volume to be louder here. Uh, you know, you can set distances and things like that. You can configure, um, sound latency delay type stuff between the speakers if you need that. And the main thing is it works on anything. If this sounds familiar, it's because Axum made something that they released a couple years ago called the Axum Link. But the Axum Link didn't work for all TVs. It only worked for TVs that were WISA certified, which is pretty much just some LG TVs. Mm-hmm. So uh, the, the WISA representative that I spoke to today was like, well, so, you know, there's X number of millions of, of WISA certified TVs, but there's 800 million other TVs on the planet. With and this will work with... In pretty much all of them. <laughs> right. Right. And what what's interesting here, you mentioned you plug it into your HDMI ARC plug, but I don't think you specifically said on your TV. Correct. The point is that this doesn't have to be on an AVR, on your receiver. This can be on the TV so that if you're using your TV as your source, then it gets all of the output from the TV. If you're using your receiver as the source into your TV, then it gets the audio from all of your inputs and takes those as output from HDMI ARC 
and uses that and sends it to the speakers. It doesn't have to connect back to your receiver to get sound out. Well, but there's really no reason for a receiver. Well, the receiver might be if you have other sources that you're putting into your TV or if you manage multiple zones. I mean, this doesn't necessarily mean that your home doesn't need a receiver depending on how you have your entertainment system set up in your home. No, it it doesn't, but but I I don't think that's the target market here. I I think really No, no, no. no. Yeah. I get it. Yeah, right, right. That you could get your full surround audio wirelessly without even having to have a receiver. Yeah. I get that. Right. But this audience, I'm willing to bet that our listeners, at least 50%, if not more of them, have an AV receiver somewhere in their system. Well, and, and that's why I think that it's also a good solution for people who, who are maybe setting up an alternate zone in their house. You know, mm. Maybe they've got a TV in their office and they still don't want to deal with the garbage audio that comes out of the TV speakers. So maybe they want better sound, but they're still not, but they don't, so they don't want to use the TV speakers and maybe they're sick of dealing with sound bars too, because they really want real surround sound. And here it's one tiny puck plugged into your TV, probably hidden behind the TV, nothing dangling anywhere. Uh, and, and no wires anywhere and placing speakers wherever you want. So yeah, I, I, I think the, the, the sweet spot here in the market is maybe you're considering a sound bar, but, but maybe you want something one level up, but you still don't want to deal with all of the wires and all of the complexity of dealing with an AVR. Yep. I like it. I had a work colleague asking about Wysa earlier this week. Well, I guess not this week, last week. And I was like, yes, I am a fan. I am absolutely a fan. It's real. If you find stuff that's certified, you can be assured that it is going to be high quality audio wirelessly. Right, right. So this this transmitter, if you want to buy it straight from them, uh, it's $179, which is not bad. I mean, that's hundreds of dollars cheaper than a receiver <laughs> in most cases. Right. Um, and if you don't have the speakers yet, a lot of the speaker manufacturers are just bundling this transmitter in with their speakers. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So, so you've got a lot of options there. Okay. Maybe you are fine with soundbars and maybe you've got a Roku TV. And if that's the case, then TCL has uh, announced their their first ever wireless soundbar for Roku TV. So it is a Roku soundbar that will wirelessly communicate with your Roku TV, So, which is probably a TCL also. So similar to the WISA setup, there are no wires connecting the soundbar and the TV. None. You're just plugging the soundbar into the wall for power, mm-hmm. and then it connects to the TV completely wirelessly. It doesn't get much easier to set up than that. <laughs> Why does it seem like we've already talked about something like this? Well, I think they've been talking about it for a while, but I don't think they've actually released one yet. And I Okay. I, and well, I mean there's there's sound bars that have additional wireless speakers and things like that and like maybe I'm thinking of the Roku speaker. Mm, you could be. Wasn't there a Roku speaker that came out a while ago? That's probably what Yes, I'm but I of. don't think they were wireless. Yeah, I don't know. But 
this is this is cool. Again, I like this. I like the idea of doing this wirelessly, and we're at the point where the technology exists. The companies can do this and get it synced and working properly. I mean, geez, you can even get your stupid little Google pucks to play in sync across your home if you want to. So this technology is definitely here and I'm very excited to see stuff like this. Yeah. So they only announced one particular model, but there's going to be multiple models released this year. They haven't really given us a whole lot of specifics on them. They also haven't given us dates or prices, but a lot of these TCL soundbars uh, the, these aren't super high end prices. Like th- this isn't going to be a thousand dollar soundbar, you know. <laughs> so we'll see. I'm I'm really not sure what to even guess at though. I, I think the the more mainstream TCL soundbar is in the like. In fact, I think we've recently talked about them. There was like a one hundred dollar one and like a hundred thirty dollar one. This will almost definitely be more than that. But I, I bet it still comes in under two hundred. Maybe right at two hundred. TCL, I I would expect it under two hundred. So it'll be interesting to see how they how they fare here. Yeah. All right. Sticking with audio, Richard, you wear glasses. Anybody who shows up to our live feed would know that. I do. Uh, have you ever wanted to listen to audio, but you didn't want to have anything in your ear while listening to it, but at the same time you didn't want to annoy other people. You wanted speakers, but not in your ears. If that was the case, yes. J-Labs may have a solution for you. May. May. It's called the J-Buds Frames, and they are truly wireless headphones, sort of. Um, but instead of having a couple of things that you put inside of each ear, it is two discrete uh, rectangular-ish shaped things that you attach to the arms of your glasses, and then they have directional speakers that point the audio straight at your ear so that you can hear it. People near you hopefully can't. Um, But your ears are still open so that you can hear people around you if people are talking or if you're out in public and you want to be able to hear people who are trying to sneak up on you. All of that is uh, a possibility. Does something like that sound interesting to you? Well, it's interesting because it's not really the first player here, right? We've seen things like this. We've seen the experiment from Amazon coming out with the assistant built on board frames and you could interact with it. We've seen Bose come out with Bose uh directional speakers built into the frames i think i forget what they're called i think they're ar frames or something like that they're actually really good they they sound surprisingly good i've tried them what's interesting about this is that this is a retrofit you already have glasses they already have you know uh, arms or whatever you call them that that uh, you fold out and put over your ears this is going to hang off of that these are essentially Two wireless synced battery operated speakers that hang on the side of your glasses and point into your ears. There's so much that could go wrong here, but I can't <laughs> help but make the comparison to like the 1970s boombox and 
how much smaller this is. How crazy is that? Oh, wow. I, I hadn't thought about it from that perspective. Yeah. I mean, just how crazy is that? Walking down the street with the music in both of your ears in stereo, except it's these little tiny things that hang off the side of your glasses. That's kind of cool. I don't know that I wouldn't want this. This seems like an more of an experiment in early technology. I'd rather see companies like Bose and Oakley and others that have experimented with this perfected and built it into existing product. I'd like to see uh, you know manufacturers of glasses that know how to handle the weight of glasses. Like this adds half an inch, half an inch, half an ounce of weight to each side of your glasses. Um, okay. Do you want that? Do you really want an additional, an additional, uh, I'm distracted because as I'm talking, a beer showed up on the counter behind. That was amazing. How cool is that? Can I get one of those? (laughs) Yeah, really? So, um, do you really want that additional weight in your glasses? Are your glasses, are the hinges on your glasses designed to be able to support that? I don't know. So I don't know how I feel about this as an add-on. So I, I like the idea of it as an add-on because my my wife has a glasses wearer, so she's got glasses all day long. And in the summer, when we actually see the sun, she's got prescription sunglasses too. And she could easily clip these on both sets of her glasses mm-hmm. instead of only being able to use them on, on certain glasses. And when she absolutely doesn't want that, she takes them off. You know, she's going to like some fancy event or she's at work or whatever. She doesn't have the the weird speaker thing hanging on her glasses. So I do like that it is an add-on, uh, you know, retrofit sort of thing uh, that should fit on on most glasses. But yeah, I, I'm I'm concerned about the weight also. Fortunately, if this does sound interesting to you, it doesn't cost you much to try. JLab is is not one of those, uh, they're not Apple. They're, they're not out there to charge you a million dollars for their products. You're going to be able to get these in early spring for only 50 bucks. Mm, for 50. That's the other thing that concerns me. <laughs> Quite fr- I'm serious. Like, how, could th- how good could this be for 50 bucks? I don't know. I, I'm sure it's not going to, you know, compete with, you know, uh, AirPods Pro or, or anything like that. But they are a different thing. Who knows? I mean, for me, it, it, it might be something fine because for me, for this type of thing, I'm just listening to podcasts, not listening to music through something like this. Uh, but because of the size, they are able to put a bigger speaker drivers inside of them too. So I don't know, might sound pretty decent. Yeah, and, and when you're saying because of the size, let's be clear about this. These aren't huge. This is like maybe, I don't know, two centimeters by five centimeters or something like that. They're, they're not that big. So I, th- I think you're still going to look a little silly with them, but I like your comparison to the AirPods because when they came out, we all thought they looked absolutely ridiculous. Right. And now that's what headphones look like. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, so last audio story here. Um, this is one. That, that we might not normally talk about because it is one of these crowdfunded projects, but it's already funded. They say they're shipping real soon and it's pretty interesting. It is, it is a 
shower speaker. And Richard and I, we both love shower speakers, mostly because yep. we're addicted to podcast and any <laughs> yep. extra minute that we can spend listening to podcast, yep. we'll take it. <laughs> so uh, this is a company called Ampere, A-M-P-E-R-E, and they've got a new speaker called Shower Power. Now, I kind of hate the name, but it, it's fine. And it's a Bluetooth speaker for your shower. That's not a new concept. What is a new concept is how it's powered. Because if you've got a shower speaker, you're probably not running power into your shower. That's a little weird. Uh, so typically that means that you've got a battery powered speaker that occasionally you have to take out of the shower, plug it in, charge it somewhere. And that gets kind of annoying. Yep. So instead, uh, Richard, I don't know if you know this, but uh, a large portion of the electricity that is generated on this planet is generated by water, sometimes in the form of steam, spinning a generator. And that hydroelectric power. Exactly. Or even n- nuclear power plants work the same way. It's steam spinning generators, right? Yep. <laughs> same concept here. You've already got water. You've got water flowing through the pipes to your shower head. You uh, insert this in line to your shower head. The water flowing through this thing spins a little uh, generator that produces enough power to power up the speaker. No, no extra batteries, no charging, none of that stuff. You just leave it attached to your shower. And when you turn the water on, it's powered up and ready to go. What do you, what do you think of this idea? I love this. I absolutely love this. I don't understand why nobody has done this before. This makes so much sense. What I think I would worry about is because I understand the laws of mechanics and I recognize that energy lost means energy gained. So if we're generating energy to power the speaker, then we've lost some of the energy in the water coming through the shower head, right? Right. So I asked them about that when I met with them yesterday and, and said, so what, what's the impact to, to your water pressure? And he said, worst case, it's a 20% reduction in water pressure, which is fairly significant. But they are working on other designs that, that could see uh, uh, that, that impact be as little as, as 5%. So, Meaning new future hardware. That would be my, my guess. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I, I love the idea. Um, you know, take the water saver out of your shower head if you haven't already. <laughs> yes, I just said that. I know it's blasphemy. Right. It may be illegal in some jurisdictions. You didn't hear it here, but that should make up for the difference if you haven't done that already. Right, right. So if you are interested in the shower power speaker, they're they're hoping to be shipping these Q1. Uh, this is CES from a crowdfunded product. I think that means sometime in 2021, not necessarily Q1, but it's only a hundred bucks. They've also got an additional an add-on speaker that they're calling the Droplet. That is a, a standalone, you know, pretty much traditional, not standalone, uh, more of a traditional Bluetooth speaker that will connect directly to the shower power and effectively give you stereo, but you, you don't put this one in the shower. Like maybe you put this on the bathroom sink. 
so that once you're out of the shower, you've still got a speaker close to you or something like that. Uh, that that droplet add-on speaker is another $49. Uh, but importantly, you don't have to sync your phone to both of them. It, the the droplet syncs right. to to the shower bar, so you don't have to deal with that craziness inside of well, a Bluetooth. And phone. so that's interesting. Then, are you generating enough power when you have the shower on that you are um, able to continue sending the signal through the mm. the main speaker in the shower out to the droplet? And how long does that transmission power last Mm. that's something that we would need to find out but still it this is a cool idea this is a very cool idea i I like this i think it's creative you and i talked about this before the show and i i almost didn't want to include it because we don't like to talk about stuff that is in the crowdfunding stage so let's just be really transparent they're saying that they hope to ship in quarter one you know, for what it's worth, I just got my clock radio that I ordered three years ago. It was supposed <laughs> to ship in nine months. And yeah, so that's what crowdfunding is like. Don't bet on getting this in the projected time frame. Right. Yeah. Unless unless this is a company that has got a whole lot of previous experience in shipping hardware products. I, I think you're going to be happy if you get it in the fall or autumn yep. if you're not a U.S. person. Okay, gaming stuff. Not a ton that we're going to talk about tonight, so if you don't love the gaming stuff, don't worry. There's not that much here. A couple of quick stories. So first off, NVIDIA had a press conference today. Um, this really wasn't surprising what, what, what they ended up announcing. They've, they've released a... Uh, a new lowest end offering in the new RTX line of GPUs. It's the 3060. Some of you might be thinking, I thought they had the 3060 already. They had the 3060 Ti or Ti. Um, this is one step below that. The The 3060 Ti is a $400 video card. The regular 3060 should be available. Well, that's another story. Uh, they're saying February for $329. Now, they're, they're saying February, but video cards have been impossible to buy uh, over the last few months. So good luck getting one in February if you actually want one, but that, that's when they're theoretically going to become available. The other super obvious thing that they ended up announcing was, surprise, there's finally laptops coming out that have RTX 30 series GPUs in them. So 3060 all the way up through 3080 uh, GPUs inside of uh, a bunch, I think they said 26 different laptops coming out soon. Uh, Some of them as early as January 26th. And they're going to be great. Like (laughs) these, these 30 series GPUs from NVIDIA are amazing. And so to get one in a laptop is going to be really, really awesome. You know, Razer, of course, announced updates to the Razer Blade 15 and 17. They're going to have uh, a few different offerings with, with these laptop or with these GPUs, along with pretty much every other laptop manufacturer who makes gaming laptops. We also had what, what I felt was kind of surprising. Uh, we, I was at another event yesterday and saw that 
Otterbox showed up as an exhibitor under the gaming category. And I was like, what? Like, this can't be right. Let me click into this and find out what, what they're actually <laughs> showing off because they make yeah. phone cases. Right. There's no way they've got gaming accessories. I was wrong. They do now. Um, it's, it's quite a few different products. I'm going to focus today on the most interesting ones. I've got the full breakdown over on the digital media zone. If you want to hear about everything else, the, the main thing is they've made their own mobile gaming clip specifically designed for Xbox controllers. Now listen, all you PlayStation fanboys, all of us know that the Xbox controller is the superior controller offset sticks forever. It is the right way to make a game controller. And <laughs> so these are specifically designed to work with Xbox one, uh, Xbox series X and the Xbox elite controllers. It'll attach to all of them. Um, it's got, you know, multiple hinges so that the, you can adjust where the phone is displayed and the angle at which it is displayed. And instead of having four claws that wrap around your phone, it's actually got three. So it's two that are spread apart wide on one side and then uh, one wider one on the other side so that you can figure out the, the best orientation to put your phone in there without the claws wanting to push down on your volume button or something like that. So it, it looks like a really nice clamp or, or gaming clip, I guess is, is what they're actually calling it. It's $29.99, which is a little bit on the high side. Uh, in fact, if, if you just want to look at, you know, raw math, it's about twice the cost of, of some of the, the competing products. And that, that sort of uh, pricing situation also carries on maybe even worse. Uh, with with the other accessory that I wanted to talk about, and that is their gaming carrying case. So this is a case for your controller, but it will also hold your controller with the gaming clip already attached. So you can just leave the clip on a controller, take it with you. But if you don't have the clip and you just buy the case, then it's got like a, a special flap at the top of it that'll open up and you can set your phone on it and it'll be propped up at, at a nice angle for you to just use the case as your your phone stand for when you're playing you know mobile games. Maybe you're playing Call of Duty Mobile. Maybe you're game streaming through Project xCloud as part of Xbox Game Pass Ultimate. I think that's really where the, the Xbox tie-in comes in other than the fact that they have the best controller. This case, though, is $45. And... I don't understand how in the world a case for your controller can cost $45 when <laughs> the controller itself is 60. Yeah, I mean it's Otterbox prices, right? Yeah. They're not cheap products. So you're paying for the Otterbox brand. And and to be fair, it's not just the Otterbox brand. It's it's what that brand means. Otterbox is a brand that people trust as making durable products that will protect their crazy expensive phones. And, you know, th th they have limited lifetime warranties on these products. I don't know what the limitations are, but it should be good. <laughs> so I, I am curious uh, to, to check this out. Um, I, I bet it is really good and it's specifically designed for Xbox controllers. So maybe uh, it, it'll be out. Well, they're going to start accepting pre-orders at the end of the month. So I would assume February for, for when these start 
uh, to ship to actual customers. There's a lot of other gaming stuff going on. You know, we already mentioned some gaming laptops. There's also a whole bunch of gaming monitors, which I do want to dig into further because a lot of them have, you know, HDMI 2.1 is finally coming to gaming monitors, which makes them more ideal if you want to hook your, your PlayStation 5 or your Xbox Series X up to a monitor instead of a TV. So a lot of interesting stuff happening in that space, but there has not been time for me to dig into all of that. So maybe next week we'll be uh, taking a deeper look at gaming monitors and other gaming stuff. Uh, so that's that's it for all of our, our normal news. I'm going to pause for a second. I see that you have this highlighted. Ah. My window is too narrow. I couldn't see that you had a comment. That, that's is good. there anything there you absolutely want to talk about? Because we're at 110. Well, yeah. we're at about 105 or something like that. Right. No, I, I, I think we can skip the rest of the stuff and maybe talk about it next week. Cool. So that's all the, the CES news we're going to talk about this week. So like I said, there'll be more next week. Until then, Richard, let's talk about what's going on in our entertainment centers. And there's a little bit more since we're not traveling to Las Vegas. Yeah, that's true. And I am traveling, so I have a little bit of a weird situation going on. And I actually like talking about that because I think it makes you think differently about how you use your entertainment center. First off, because I was on the road for a while, I managed to whittle down on my podcasts, and I am now happily under two weeks behind on podcasts I expect that by next week, I'll probably be able to say I'm only one week behind on podcasts because I'm right at that week between Christmas and New Year's when pretty much nobody was podcasting. (laughs) So that made it easy to get through that span. Now, when I travel, I typically bring some streaming devices with me, and that's how we're relying on TV largely while we're here. We have a Google TV, of course. Every device is different because I just picked a bunch of unused devices. So we have the Chromecast Google TV using that on the main TV here. We have a Fire TV in a a, uh, media room. And I have an old version, the, the shorter version of the Apple TV hooked up to my office television here. So a little different experience in every room. And Google TV as the primary TV experience using channels as our primary source of linear content has been working great. In fact, it worked so great that one morning, I I might have mentioned this last time actually, I woke up one morning and I walked out into the great room and live TV was already on. Edward figured out how on Google TV to call up channels and get live TV working. Well, really, the only hard part of that whole scenario is figuring out that the channel's icon is going to give you live TV, right? Yes, and depending on where you last were in the channel's app, getting to the guide. Mm. And I may have already been on the guide. I don't know. The Google TV version of channels does not automatically start playing the last channel or some designated channel. That update hasn't hit that device yet. When it gets there, it's kind of like a no-brainer. Yeah. So I'm I'm very happy with that experience. We haven't even used the cable boxes and the five 
I am not kidding, five remotes <laughs> that are out there for the TV in the great room. Oh, it's just man. Friggin' ridiculous. In a rental property. Like, who's going to do that? Who's going to be able to figure that out? Right. They have like a laminated instruction sheet <laughs> on how to use it. And it's just an, it's such an example of how not to set up your <laughs> Right. <laughs> All right. Well, why I've been here, I've been watching some content. The Star Trek Discovery finale, very, very satisfying. Very good. I think they did a fantastic job with that. It was a little challenging because I wasn't able to airplay it to everything that I wanted to, to be able to watch it the way that I wanted to. Ultimately, I ended up hooking up my laptop to an HDMI input in the receiver just so that I could get it on the TV. I just, I, I wasn't going to watch that on my laptop or on a tablet. Also watched a couple more episodes of The Right Stuff. I'm kind of losing steam on that. I think I mentioned that last time. I have watched a bunch more episodes of Kim's Convenience. We finished season one and now we're on season two of that. And this week I watched a bunch of One Day at Disney Shorts. These are the quick five-minute stories about people who work for the Disney company in any of the branches. It could be ABC, it could be Disney, it could be ESPN, any of the companies they own, and just taking a look at the job that that person does. And there's some really fascinating stuff. Oh, and by the way, one of them was profiling the guy who's responsible for maintaining all of the lights in (laughs) the land of Pandora that they created (laughs) in the animal kingdom. And of course I was just frigging loving that. So he's like your hero. That's the job you want when you grow up. Right. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And then uh, we watched a couple more episodes of the river song story arc on Dr. Who. And then um, last Friday, much to, I'm sure, everyone's shock. Last Wednesday. I Wednesday. Oh, it just seems like every day is just crazy and a big blend of whatever. Right. Last Wednesday. Holy crap. Um, I watched a bunch of United States citizens attack our nation's capital in real time. Yeah. It is not very often that I turn on like live news streaming services. But what, yeah. yeah, that was that was a day that we had to because... Hmm. Yeah, insurrection in our own country is not something you see every day. That was awful. Yeah. And um not to be an alarmist, but there's a reason that I'm not in the Maryland, Annapolis capital and DC area right now. Yeah, it's a good time to be away from the nation's capital for sure. Yeah. Especially over Josh. the next couple of weeks. <laughs> Tell us about happy things that you were doing in your entertainment. Happy center. things. Um, hmm. I'm not sure if happy is the but maybe. So <laughs> on on, <laughs> on the video game side, of course, Call of Duty, of course, NHL. Uh, did finally get around to checking out Wasteland 3. This is an I'm pretty sure it's an Xbox exclusive. Uh in Exiles, the developer, they were one of the gosh, was it? six studios that uh microsoft announced at at uh, e3 2019 that they had purchased and brought into the xbox game studios umbrella (laughs) it was a crazy day uh and so this is made by one of them so of course this game is on game pass it is a strategy role-playing game set in post-apocalyptic uh the united states 
Uh, I believe the first two wastelands uh, took place in Arizona. This one takes place in Colorado. I was really interested in checking it out. Plus, it does have online co-op. So I was able to play with my friend Joe, the guy who I used to do story players with. And neither of us are great at strategy games, but we were we were really digging it. So I can't wait to get back together with him and play more of Wasteland 3. Uh, I mean, it's 100 years in the future and there's a lot of, you know, it's post-apocalyptic. So that's why I said hap- not so many happy things. Like it's not a good situation, <laughs> but it's been a pretty fun game so far. Uh, still working on the Kingdom of Ash audiobook. It's the last book in the Throne of Glass series. I'm under 10 hours remaining. I think I'm more like seven hours remaining at this point. So we'll definitely be finishing that book before the next episode. Why do you make it sound like you're slogging through that? Well, this one is really long. Like this one was 34 hours or something like that. Oh, (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And, and I, I don't really let myself get as far behind on podcast as you do. Partly because I'm willing to just skip episodes, but right. Yeah. Uh, so that's it for the audiobooks. And then uh, on the TV side, watched a, a couple more episodes of All American. We're in like the middle of season two of that show with my oldest daughter. And that's a show that's a, you know, scripted show about a football player. I also watched some actual football. I'm in Ohio for the first time in. I think it's 18 years. It's a lot of years. Uh, the Cleveland Browns made it to the playoffs. So uh, we watched that game on Sunday night. And unfortunately, that was a game that didn't start until 8 p.m. So I didn't go to bed until midnight watching that game. And then the very next night was the college football national championship game, which also didn't start until 8 p.m. So again, it was another midnight uh, bedtime for me after watching football two nights in a row. Um, very happy with both outcomes. The Brown, I'm not a Browns fan. I'm a Lions guy. But my, my wife comes from a, a big family of Browns fans, so I was happy to see them win. And then uh, for the national championship, uh, I love Alabama, so I love seeing them win national championship after national championship after national championship. But this one was especially great because they kicked the crap out of Ohio State, the team that I hate more than any other team in sports. So that was great. Extra, extra great. Um, Some of our listeners might be going, but Josh, how did you watch that game? That game was on ESPN, and we know that you're a cord cutter. Well, I'm also a cheap cord cutter, but I also do things by the book. So I signed up for a free trial of YouTube TV and worked out really well. I I don't know that watching one football game is a good trial of a service, but for the most part, it it streamed well. It it looked really good. Late in the game, I did get an error screen and it stopped playing the game. And so I had to back out and, and start it back up again. I don't know what happened there. I don't know if that's a very common thing. I gotta imagine it's not, or else we'd be hearing about it more. But that was a little frustrating. I don't know if it was like the game lasted longer than the guide expected it to if it was something like that i don't know but uh it it was a situation that was easy to rectify so it it wasn't too bad Hmm. yeah interesting yeah kind of a a weird cryptic error message and it was like do you want to send feedback and i'm like yes because i want you to fix this problem 
Uh, and then I backed out and selected the game again and it fired right up and I didn't have any more problems. So are you still in your trial period? Yeah. Cause I, I literally started it yesterday and it's either a seven or a 14 day trial. Okay. Have you tried anything else yet? No. Cause I signed up for this at eight o'clock last night <laughs> and today was all CES the whole day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this. I'm entirely sick of the every time I launch YouTube modal pop-up that I have to click through, oftentimes on top of a an ad that's already playing with audio. Like I can't stop the ad until I click through the pop-up and say no thanks. And so it's interesting that you actually clicked the try it for free option. And (laughs) (laughs) I'm curious to find out how that goes. I've been saving my free trial just for this type of emergency situation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, that is going to do it for what's going on in our entertainment centers. Before we get out of here, one quick announcement from Richard. Yeah, that's just that I am on this week's. DTNS on Wednesday, talking with Tom Merritt and company about what is exciting at CES. And specifically, we'll be talking about any new news that occurs on Wednesday, as well as what's going on in the smart home space. So you can check that out on DTNS in your podcatcher of choice. Cool. So that'll just be later today, assuming you're not listening to us live right now. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right. Well, if you want to find us and everything else that we're doing or or send us a message, you can do that on Twitter. Richard is at Richard Gunther. I'm at Josh Pollard and the website is at DigiMediaZone. Head on over to thedigitalmediazone.com to find all of the rest of our contact information, all of our CES coverage, and uh, just everything else that that we're doing over there, uh, including Richard's other podcast, also talking about smart home stuff. It's called Home On. Richard, what's what's coming up with Home On? Yeah, so we weren't able to get the folks at CNET on before CES, so I'm working with them to see if we can get someone on after, and um, hopefully we'll make that happen. But definitely the next episode of Home On will be all about what's going on in the smart home and a little bit of smart kitchen space at CES. Cool. All right. And then come back and watch us as we record this show live. Although not just watch us, talk with us because there's uh, a chat room too where you can participate. We love doing the live show. We're using Twitch to do this. Follow us on Twitter to know for sure when we're going to be doing our, our live shows. But they're normally Tuesday nights around 8.30 p.m. Eastern. It's going to do it for our initial, probably, CES episode of (laughs) Entertainment 2.0. This has been episode 546. He's Richard Gunther, and I'm Josh Pollard. Thanks for listening to Entertainment 2.0. Adios. Goodbye.